Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Arnold Pollard. Thank you for joining me on this episode. Today, I took a little bit of time off. You're like, yeah, again? No, I did take a little bit of time off to do some skiing, which was really, really fun. Uh, something I try to do every winter. And when I do that, my I am offline, like super offline. And it is it is nice. And it gives me this energy to be back online. And I'm really, really glad to be back and excited to share with you what's coming up on these upcoming episodes. But today, today we're going to talk about the problem with Airbnb and some companies that are sort of filling in the niche that Airbnb, where it's lacking. And I think these are some good travel options or different travel options for accommodation, depending on where you're going and how long you might be staying in a place. And it's kind of changing the way sort of like couch surfing changed the trends of travel. It sort of changed things for leading to Airbnb. And I think we're seeing that I think we're seeing that again, although I don't know if it's necessarily a good or a bad thing for a lot of reasons. So we'll dive into that today. We'll talk a little bit more in depth. I got a lot of questions about slash attacks, about backpack slash attacks. Um, that is something a lot of you asked uh, some questions, like some detailed questions about. So I want to get into those attacks and what they are, where they occur, how you can avoid them, all of that stuff and some tips you can use to to protect your backpack. And then we've got a couple of other stories that I want to share with you today. A man getting locked in an airplane bathroom. Does the seat that you pick on a flight actually matter for safety? You know, like if you're flying, uh, I don't know, Alaska Airlines and the, 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 the wall flies off, like does it really matter where you're sitting? I've got an answer for you from, from some experts. And finally, I want to talk about traveling to every country in the world. Now, I can't wait to talk about that. That is one of my goals. That is why I, that is one of the reasons that I travel. And actually one of the episodes coming up is, is a, just full in depth on sort of the, the, the history of Fox Nomad, why I travel. We're going to get into that in an upcoming episode. But today I want to talk about visiting every country in the world and some interesting statistics about, uh, what's kept about people who've done that. So let's first start out with Airbnb and the rise of apartment rentals. Okay. So Airbnb has, you know, after somewhat of a rocky start as a company, somewhat as a slow start as a company, which, which is a very interesting history in and of itself has really grown into the main sort of homestay option, right? So if you're traveling to a city and, you know, you have a stay of a couple of days, you're either doing a hotel, but a lot of people are doing Airbnb, both for just having a kitchen and having laundry and, you know, just getting more of a local experience. A lot of people are going to Airbnb, but what's happened over the years is due to cleaning fees, Airbnb fees, and just an inconsistent approach. Like when you go to a hotel, you more or less know at each hotel the kind of service that you're going to get, the kind of amenities you're going to get. It's all very consistent. With an Airbnb, every time you book an Airbnb, you really don't know. Like, do the pictures match the place? Uh, what is the host like? What is check-in like? What part of town is it in? All these things are a lot more confusing with an Airbnb versus, you know, a hotel. And so the 
those those factors, but also the fact that uh, hosts can pick arbitrary cleaning fees. And I've gotten a lot of pushback from people who do host Airbnbs and they say the cleaning fees, you know, are reflective of what it costs to clean this place. But sometimes the cleaning fees can be as much as the nightly rate, you know, and there's there's really, you know, some some places have gotten ridiculous with this. So a lot of people, myself included, now I tend to lean toward looking for hotels, right, for shorter stays. But if you're staying for, you know, a couple of months, right, you don't want to live out of a hotel because you, well, it's not as comfortable, number one, you don't have a kitchen, you don't have laundry, you know, it just feels like you're living out of a hotel, which is fine for like a week. I can do that for about 10 days and then I start to go a little bit nuts. So then you you obviously just look for Airbnb. I know there's Verbo and other sites, but, you know, we'll use Airbnb as the example. But again, it's that it's that sort of, you know, that experience of you show up at a place and you don't know what you're going to get every time it's a little bit different. Then you do find a place you like and you want to extend the stay but you can't because maybe it's already booked, all these things. So there are two companies that are sort of part of this evolution of a different way to stay when you travel. And those are the Blue Ground and Sonder. Now, I recently stayed in the Sonder in New York City, and it was a very interesting experience because Sonder, it looks like a hotel. So you show up and it looks like a hotel building and it's got rooms like a hotel, it's got a front desk like a hotel, but inside it's apartments. So you have a mailbox, you can receive packages, like, well, you can receive packages at a hotel, but you've got your own mailbox. Um, it's got a gym, it's got a, you know, a stove, a washer, dryer in unit, fridge, you know, all that stuff. And for New York City, the, the, the places are big. I mean, these are big apartments, considering you're in Manhattan, for example. There are a couple of different Sonder locations in New York City. But the prices are pretty much the same, if not a little bit less than the prices of nearby hotels. And you're getting the kitchen, you're getting the laundry. Sonder is having some trouble breaking into markets in the U.S. So right now, if you're staying in a major city in the United States and you're looking for accommodation, then a Sonder is, is a really good it's probably going to be a good deal for you because they are undercutting themselves, undercutting the hotel rates for nearby hotels to be able to get a foothold in the market. And they're actually losing money on their U.S. properties, but making money on their overseas properties. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But so it's a really unique experience and it's so seamless. Um, so you, you book a place online, you go to their website, create an account, get 10 or 15% off just for creating an account, which you have to do to book anyway. You create the account, you get to see what each apartment is like, and then you show up. You don't even need to stop at the front desk. You've got your code to get in. You can use your phone as a mobile key. You log into your, you know, your apartment and that's pretty much it. And they're decently well furnished. And I, I think it's a service that I probably will end up using more and more, but for stays of like a week, maybe two weeks maximum, because they're not as premium as something like the Blue Ground, which is a service that is sort of designed for people who are going to stay longer. So if you're going to a city and you're going to stay for at least a month, because the Blue Ground has a minimum of a month, the Blue Ground is a decent option. 
their apartments are really nice, very, very premium, all kinds of high-end appliances. The silverware is really nice. Um, the apartments are laid out nice. They're very comfortable. The mattresses are brand new, everything, you know, even the sheets, you know, you get very high thread count, as they say, very, very, all very nice. Um, the problem with the blue ground is you have to pay up front. So if you're staying for six months, you've got to pay six months of the rent up front, which can be, you know, it's expensive. And if you want to pay with credit card, then they're going to charge you 5% more on top of that. It's not as convenient. Um, every property and not just, you know, every city is, has a different property manager and every property has a different manager. So it's not like a Sonder where you can just call downstairs and they'll come up and fix something if a light goes out or whatever, or if you lock yourself out, I mean, you have a digital key there, but in the blue ground, you basically, it is like more like renting an apartment apartment, except the service is going to be way slower. Um, but on that said, the apartments are nicer. Why I'm bringing these two things up is because I can see these kind of services. There are now over 20. There are 20 of them that have decent market share. I can see these becoming and potentially overtaking Airbnbs in general, because Airbnb used to be sort of this unique experience that was less expensive than hotels and that gave you a kitchen and laundry. Ideal for longer stays, even for shorter stays of a week, you know, like not having a kitchen is really difficult. Like it can save you a lot of money just to have a kettle and a stove and you can just cook some things, at least breakfast, you know, save some money on that. And I think now the rates of Airbnb have gone up so much. I mean, they're more expensive. Typically, we're seeing like 12% rates over hotel rates. So Airbnb's prices have gone up because their fees have gone up on the back end for hosts. And it's created this sort of cycle. And we're seeing sites like Sonder, the Blue Ground really take off. I think Sonder has the best sort of market share, like the, the, the angle. They're not quite as premium, I think. It is definitely more of a hotel vibe. The, 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 the rooms are nice. The apartments are nice. It's just not quite as premium as something like the Blue Ground. So it does still feel a little bit like you're staying in a hotel as opposed to an apartment. But I think these are going to take over. I think these are really going to push Airbnb. And I don't know which way it's going to push Airbnb. I think it really comes down to Airbnb's fees are really high. They're getting a lot of pushback in the cities and jurisdictions that they're in. So they're charging hosts more fees. The rates go up and they're, you know, you get issues. It's going to happen to to the Blue Ground and the Saunders of the world as well. You know, they're registering their places as hotels. The Blue Ground isn't, but Saunders is. And so by registering themselves as hotels, they kind of, they're already working within an existing framework for businesses. So, you know, if you're looking at stocks, I'm not, I'm not giving financial advice, but I think, I think uh, sites like Sonder are going to do really well. I think you're going to hear about them a lot more in the coming years. And hopefully it makes Airbnb just a better experience. That would, that would be great. So yeah, I hope that's interesting for you, I guess, talking about accommodation, but I know a lot of you who listen travel, obviously. <laughs> And I know you travel sort of in a unique way, right? Like either you're going for a couple of days. The, the great thing about like a site like Saunders, you can book for like three days or three months or eight months or whatever you want. Do um, you have these different flexible options? The blue ground is more of a month to month. Like the minimum is one month. 
Um, but again, nice apartments. You can find good deals there. You just have to look a little bit harder. So these are just some of the, the expanded options that you have as a traveler. And I think, I think this is the very beginning of those apartment short, short term apartment rental for travelers push. And I think we're going to see a lot more of those coming up. So be sure to check those out. I think it's worth checking out, especially if you're going, like I said, Sonder for U.S. major cities. Blue ground tends to be a little bit less expensive internationally, and you might find a good place to stay. Let me know what you think. If you've used those before, let me know what you think on Twitter at Fox Nomad. So getting into our next, our next item, I want to talk about backpack slash attacks. So I just told you about great places to stay when you're traveling, and now I'm going to terrify you by letting you know about an attack which is very, 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 very old. Old school, not pickpocketing, but just an old school attack, which is a slash attack. Now, the way these work is there's two common ways that these attacks happen. Number one is when you're on a bus and you put your backpack under your seat or under the seat in front of you, very common, the person in front of you or behind you will slice through your backpack take out its contents. They will get off the bus typically before you even notice. And by the time you figure it out, you pick up your backpack, you arrived at your stop or your destination, backpack super light because all the valuables have been stolen. That is how slash attack works. Number one. Number two, slash attacks can happen when you're in a really crowded place. So, you know, the kind of like busy squares or just places where there are a lot of people around you and you know, so many that like, you know, imagine like the center of Milan in, you know, the middle of summer or, you know, Buenos Aires, you know, again, middle of summer with all, a lot of the tourists in the main squares. And you don't notice somebody that has sliced through your backpack with usually typically it's like a box cutter or some kind of very, very sharp knife. They cut through and these People who do this, the criminals who do this are very, very skilled. Sometimes they even put rocks or something in the place of the things that they're stealing so that the weight of your backpack doesn't shift. I mean, it's nuts. Again, they don't care if you notice, you know, 10 or 20 seconds after they're gone, because by that time it's too late. You don't know what's happening. You don't know, you know, who took your things and it's over. So there are a couple of ways you can avoid these attacks. Obviously, some of them. The ways are when you're on a bus uh, and you're traveling, always have your backpack on your lap. Never have it in the seat in front of you or behind you. Just have it on your lap or have it like in between your legs. Just make sure it is in a place that someone from behind or in front cannot cut through the bag in a place where you can't see it. On your lap is totally the safest place. If you're in a crowded place walking around like a busy square, having your backpack on your front, does scream, hey, I, I'm probably not from here. However, it is absolutely the safest way to carry your backpack if you're unsure. You know, I like to do the, I like to do the whole cool guy, one strap backpack kind of on the front, you know, holding it like that. Nobody's going to get that from a stealthy attack, you know. So you're basically, you're basically, you don't need to be fast. The, you don't need to be, you don't need to outrun the bear. You just need to outrun the, the person next to you. Kind of the same thing. Criminals are not going to, their pickpockets are going to go for the easiest prey they can find. So keeping the backpack on the front is another way. Now, that said, people have been asking me, does the material the backpack is made of make a difference? 
I use backpacks almost exclusively, my main backpack with my main gear, with my cameras and all that stuff. Always I go with nylon. I go with a high denier nylon. Denier is the average width of a, it's a measure of the average width of each thread. So deniers go from like 500, you know, sort of like a medium level denier to like a thousand or 1200, which is pretty thick. Those backpacks are usually um, going to be heavier. They're going to be like, think of the Gorucks of the world, those backpacks that are like bomb proof. This is going to be like 1200 denier, you know, but, and I, I tend to use nylon. Like those, that's what I use. I use a high denier nylon backpack and I use it for not just slash attacks, but I use it mainly because they're extremely durable. The bags will last forever. Like you don't have to worry about it getting scratched or torn or cut or damaged. Like I use the same bag for years. In fact, I tested one. I recently, not recently, but a couple of years ago, I road tested a bag I used for 10 years. It was 800 denier nylon and it looked, you know, it looked a little old, but there was no damage to the bag. I mean, those things last forever. So now a new, a sort of a newer, less expensive material that's used in backpacks is polyester. Polyester canvas is very common in backpacks because it is lighter than nylon. That is one advantage. It is less expensive than nylon. Another advantage. It is lighter and waterproof, another advantage. All these things. So you see a lot of polyester bags coming out. Polyester black bags, you can kind of tell from a distance because they have a little bit of a, a slight, slight shine to them usually. Um, and if you put water on them, the water will wick off. So they're almost always waterproof. And they are often sprayed too with certain chemicals that will, will you know, apply for that. You can, you can take something like, a, what's it, Nix Wax. You can use that on a nylon backpack and spray your backpack to make it waterproof. But nylon, like I said, it's going to be heavier. It's not going to be waterproof. Whereas polyester canvas bag is going to be waterproof. Lighter though. So what I did was I took a knife. I took two very, very sharp knives. And I wanted to see if I could cut through those materials in a way that would make it that would resemble a slash attack, which is a very stealthy way to cut into a backpack. And it turns out it does make a big difference. Number one, I could cut through all of the bags. Okay. With a big enough knife, with a sharp enough knife, you're going to cut through fabric. You know, they're, they're, these are not bulletproof and you don't need, I don't think you need like a pack safe. Pack safe is a bag that has, that's made for security. It has all these cool features. Like you can, sort of lock the zippers into each other, but they, a lot of their bags have this steel mesh thread that is inside of the fabric. So if somebody tries to cut through, they're going to hit steel and they're not going to be able to cut through with a knife. And that's just not going to happen. I think, first of all, there's two things I don't like about PackSafe. I mean, in general, I, I'm just saying not to, you know, just completely dismiss their whole line. I do like PackSafe products. I don't, I don't think, you know, I do like their products, but I think with those steel threads, their bags are heavy. Their bags are heavy. I mean, imagine now you've got steel in your bag. That's going to, that they're heavy and the bags aren't, they're more like, um, sort of like day carry bags, but they're not good, you know, travel bags, I would say. So if you, if you're someone like me, carries a larger bag, 
that you're going to use for days on end, their bags aren't really suited for that. They're more like small backpacks. They're more like, think of like a school bag or an office bag or something like that. And it has steel mesh in it. You know, it's heavier. So you kind of, it's this trade-off that I don't know if it's worth it for a lot of cases. Turns out that you're going with 1,200 or 1,000 denier nylon is probably going to protect you just as well from a slash attack because it is very, very difficult, even with the sharpest knife, to cut through that fabric before somebody would notice. It took, with the nylon, 1,000 denier, it took over 10 solid slashes to be able to even break through the fabric. That's a lot. So you're going to notice that, again, unless you're on a bus where somebody has the time where they, you're you're not really paying attention, you can't feel the bag, unless they have the time to cut through the bag, then, you know, if you're just walking around in the city, nobody's going to be able to cut through that in a decent amount of time. 500 denier did a little, didn't do as well. Obviously, it's it's not as thick, but a decent amount. It still took, you know, like five, six slashes to get through the material at all. Okay, and this isn't just like, you know, you're cutting it and it's just slicing through. No, it, it took some, it really took some effort to get through that material. But polyester, on the other hand, was very easy to cut through. You can get through that with scissors, box cutter. You can just slice through that and you've got access to all the contents of the bag. So if you are worried about a slash attack, go with a high denier nylon fabric. And if you are worried about a slash attack, Find out the places in the world where that is common. Some places, also check the straps. The straps of the bag are also going to be important, the material those are made of. If you were asking me where these attacks happen, I told you buses, crowded squares, places where pickpocketing is very popular. This attack is, slash attacks are pretty common in Central and South America. That's where you see it a lot. You see that some in Southeast Asia as well and in parts of Africa. So. Again, those are places where typically you're going to be taking a bus as opposed to a train in a lot of ways. You know, it's just kind of the easier way to get around between city to city. So that's where you're vulnerable. City buses, local buses, places that are crowded with tourists. Um, it's not uncommon in Italy either in some major cities. But it's not something I think you have to really worry about in, in the sense that it's not a brute force attack where... It's not like a mugging. So it can be avoided if you basically make yourself an unattractive target. And if you do get in a situation where somebody does decide to go for it, a high denier count nylon, something like 800 denier or above is going to make a major difference in whether or not they can get through and cut through your stuff. So there you go. That was the slash slash attack test it's all on youtube if you want to check out me cutting through slicing stabbing basically destroying all kinds of fabric to see what i can cut through it was really interesting for me as well because i've always i've always wondered too you know like i mean i have this thousand denier nylon bag doesn't make a difference i know it's super durable but if someone wanted to cut through it would it make a difference and it turns out yeah it does all right let's go to this list on nomad world mania so like i said i'm trying to go to every country in the world that is kind of the, the overarching goal of of my journeys i think i'm at 111 countries there is a lot of different ways to define how many countries there are but the un nations list of 193 is pretty much the this the standard 
okay, there's some de facto states and unrecognized states as well. And some people count like 211 or 207 or whatever, but 193 seems to be like kind of the, the, the basic. And I didn't think about this until I read this article here, which is keeping a list. It's called The Ultimate Report on People Who Have Visited Every Country in the World. This was published just a week or two ago. And it says, have you ever wondered who the people who have visited every country are? And it has what they what they show is every person who has been to every country in the world. I thought this would be like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, but it turns out it's not very many people. So this was collected by the Travelers Century, Travelers Century Club, the TCC that was founded in 1954. And it started tracking how many people have visited every country in the world. Now, a couple of countries were closed for a long time, apparently in 1954, like Bhutan or North Korea, Albania. Those were countries that you basically as a, as a civilian could not visit. They were very difficult to get into. But the first person to do this, to go to every country in the world, I would have thought would have been like 1800s, you know? I mean, there were less countries back then, but no, it is 1988. And it is a Finnish journalist and writer, Rauli Virtanen. In 1988, he's the first person at the age of 40 to visit every country in the world. The last country that he visited and his trip was Bhutan. And he has received a Lifetime Achievement Award. So that is the first person most likely to have visited every country in the world. Now, the concept of visiting every country in the world, according to this article, has changed because the number of countries has changed. In 1939, there were only 73 recognized countries. 1959, there were 20 more. And in the 1960s, there were a big spike in the new number of countries. And in 1972, there were 148 countries. Now, it says in recently, as recently as 1950, only four countries in Africa were independent. Today, it's 54 countries. And then there are a bunch of states in the Pacific and Caribbean, and the numbers go up and up and up. And now we've got 193 countries, like I mentioned. So what are the standards for having visited a country? So it is, again, very, very, very subjective. And again, what is a country? But if we're doing 193, what does that mean to have visited a country? That means visiting, leaving the airport and stepping foot in that country. You know, the there are, you know of those people who have been to every country in the world breaking their speed record. I think it's like a year and I think it's like 18 months somebody's been to every country in the world, but they were only there for like a day, <laughs> you know, and some even less, just like really, really hopping. I, I guess that technically counts, but in my book, I feel like you don't, you're not really visiting a place if you're just stepping foot there, then you're really just stepping foot. You should just be a record for stepping foot in the most number of countries, but not really visiting. You know, if you're just there for like a couple hours, I don't think that really counts. So here is, let's get into the numbers, okay? You would think, you would think, I, you know, take a minute. How many people do you think have visited every country in the world? And how many people do you think do this every year? Maybe I'm a little bit jaded because this is kind of, kind of my world. It, it's sort of one of my goals, but it turns out until 2008, 55 people have visited every country in the world. That's 55 people across 16 nationalities. We're going into more statistics. 62% are white males above the age of 50. Hey, it takes money and time to go to every country in the world. So that kind of makes sense to be older 
I think. Um, and then until 2010, uh, let's see, there were a few spikes of visiting every country in the world in 2003 and 2008 when we had 47 and 51 people. But the average number of people who have visited every country in the world who hit that milestone every year is 12. So if you have visited every country in the world, you are in a very exclusive club. There are not many people. I know some of the people who have visited every country in the world. Um, I, I've, we've had some of them on this podcast and we've, we've spoken to them visiting every country in the world. And it is, it is, I have so far, people have been asking me like, how, what countries do you have left? And I'm like, a lot of the difficult ones, a lot of the ones that are difficult to get to for visa or logistical issues. I've applied for visas for certain countries and gotten rejected. So I have to reapply, you know, all these things. Uh, so it's not easy to do, which is why, you know, I can see why there's not a lot of people. And so far in 2004, three people have done it. So they hit their goal basically in January. Last year, we had 51 people in 2023. So there you go. That's, that's how many people are visiting every country in the world. And the total number of people as of last year, as of the end of 2023, the total number of people have visited every country in the world, 357 people. That's 357 people who have visited every country in the world. 25 of those people have already passed away. I mean, not, not since the end of last year, but just overall. So there are not a lot of people who have visited every country in the world. So if that's something that you want to do, you're in a very exclusive club of people if you can get that done so there you go it kind of to be honest with me like to be honest with you like when i was reading this i was like oh man this goal i have is a lot more difficult than i expected and in the beginning when i was trying to go you know when i started this goal i was going like through countries like boom 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 and now i go back to places i take more time in places the, the goal to me Originally, it was set because I like having just a goal to work toward. You know, not just it's 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 more of like okay, like let me set a goal, right? Let me let me kind of create um, sort of an objective when I was creating the site. Like, what's the story? What what is the plan here? And every country in the world seemed like a really kind of straightforward one. I I will accomplish this goal. Like I've set it. I want to do it. But it's not something that's my driving force anymore. You know, there's so many places around the world that I want to see, so many events, so many things that I want to do. So getting to every country isn't um, the main push. Although every year now I've got, you know, 10 or 20 countries I'm going to, probably 10 countries that I will visit to try to get closer to that list, uh, to get that list done. And and maybe I can uh, share that with you, you know, in the, in the coming years. Like, hey. I got to every country in the world. Will that mean the end of the podcast? Will that mean the end of the website? Will that mean the end of the Fox Nomad YouTube channel? No, it won't. <laughs> but uh, it'd just be a nice like feather to put in my cap. So there you go. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. A little bit talking about accommodation and the sort of the business of Airbnb. Again, a lot of you sent me questions about that. Backpack slashing and... Uh, I just wanted to throw in some stats about, you know, visiting every country in the world. So hopefully you enjoyed those. 
Um, if you have any questions, things that you want me to cover on the podcast, let me know. And you know what? Let me leave you with one. Let me leave you with two quick stories. Okay. Before we go, number one, are you worried about the seat that you are sitting in, in the plane? Does it make a difference where you sit? According to aviation experts, no, because quote, airplane seats are all safe because flying is very safe. And if you're unlucky enough to be in a major incident, the exact details of the incident and not anything inherent about your seat are what's going to determine how safe your position is. All accidents are different. So if you're sitting in the front, it's something bad might happen in the back. If you're sitting in the back, bad, you know, the front might not be the best place to have been seated. It just kind of depends. It's basically what it's saying is accidents are so incredibly rare. They're all very, very specific. And so where you sit does not make a difference. Okay. So there you go. Uh, if you were wondering, however, I will add the, I have noticed and flight attendants have told me this as well. If you have anxiety flying, sitting by the window is probably the best place for you. So you don't feel as claustrophobic and you can see outside. You may think, oh, seeing the ground is going to feel scary when you're up that high in the sky. But actually when you hit turbulence or when you're landing, it's going to make you feel more comfortable rather than if you're in the middle and you're away from the window and you kind of don't feel like you know what's going on outside. So try to sit by the window if you have flight anxiety. And lastly, we're going to talk about SpiceJet because, man, I have flown SpiceJet. Let me tell you, they are a budget airline in India. And they, I am not surprised about this story at all. If you've ever flown SpiceJet, again, they fly a bunch of routes in India. They're very inexpensive, easy way to get around from city to city. Well, a week or two ago, the flight crew of a SpiceJet flight told a passenger with a note slipped under the door of the bathroom to not panic after she got trapped in the airplane's bathroom for an hour and 45 minutes. Okay, this was on a flight from Mumbai to Bangalore, and the person, like I said, had been trapped for an hour and 45 minutes. The crew tried to unlock the door from the outside, but their attempts were unsuccessful. They slipped that note under the door saying, don't panic. And they told the crew told this person to close the lid of the toilet and sit down to prepare for landing. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the nicest way to experience a landing in a plane. And number two, they don't have seatbelts in the bathroom. So, yeah, so the plane had to land. Technicians had to come aboard and figure out and unlock the door and get that person passenger outside. The statement from the airline was a passenger unfortunately got stuck inside the laboratory for about an hour. It was actually an hour 45, but they said it was, they're saying it's an hour on a spice jet flight operating from Mumbai to Bengaluru while the aircraft was airborne due to a malfunction in the door lock. That's what spice jet is saying. And they are also adding, they provided quote assistance and guidance to the passenger and received, gave medical care after landing. Oh boy. That is, uh, I don't know about you, but the least amount of time that you ever have to spend in an airplane bathroom, the better. There you go. That's this episode. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for, very much for your support. Make sure you give this episode five stars with the podcast, five stars, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts. By the way, Apple Podcasts is going to start doing transcripts. So if you're on iOS device, you can now get a transcript of the podcast if you want to read along or perhaps 
you missed a part and you want to go back real quick so you can you can check those out too um maybe maybe your ears are blocked from flying so your, your station tubes are blocked you want to read the, the episode you can do that as well now thank you all for listening and i'll see you in the next episode